We have been working our way through this book of 2 Corinthians, and one of the things that I've been sharing each week, especially if you haven't been part of the study, it's important to know that that this church was started by Paul the Apostle. One of the things about the church in Corinth, it would be very different than what you would experience back in Jerusalem or Israel, where everybody would be worshiping the same God, have the scriptures, the Old Testament, and all that. Corinth is in Greece. So in Greece, everybody is pagan. They worship a number of different gods, and it's there on a missionary journey that Paul comes to this town of Corinth, and he begins a Bible study, and he establishes a church. Now, the church, he's with the church about 18 months, and then he hands the church off to another pastor, and he continues on his missionary journey. Now, as he continues on, several years go by, several years go by, and in in that time, after Paul has left, a number of teachers will find that they are false teachers have come into the church. They are now teaching and doing things very different than what Paul would teach and how Paul would do things. And so one of the things that they're also doing is that they are discrediting Paul's ministry. The new teaching that had come in went something like this. How can you, how can you look at Paul as, as a spiritual leader? God doesn't seem to be blessing his life. Everywhere he goes, he gets beat up. He winds up in prison. And isn't it true that, that if you're really in the center of God's will, God's just going to bless, bless, bless? And the way that you know, you're not in God's will is all of a sudden that blessing begins to remove. And Paul's definitely not in God's blessing because he's just going through all this difficult stuff. Well, that was a false teaching that had come into the church, and sadly, the people in the church were were listening to that. So Paul, as he writes, he's writing to confront some of the false beliefs that were now permeating the church. So in this particular section, which is several chapters long, it was a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 2, one of the things that Paul said, and I put it there on your outline, we won't, we won't use this verse every week, but it's important for today. Paul began this whole section by saying uh, there in your outline, we are not like the many, or not like many, peddling the word of God. And there in your outline where it says many, uh, I put mostly and largely because the word means mostly and largely. The idea, Paul says, we're not like many, that is most of the people Paul would be the minority in his teaching, and the false teachers would now be permeating at least that particular church landscape. He says, we're not like them peddling the word of God. And the word peddling there on your outline, I've put that definition again, just means to be a retailer. So the idea is that these false teachers were coming into the church, they're looking out at the congregation, and they're saying, what do you think these people would want to hear? What, what could we sell them that they would embrace? And so that's how a marketer, a retailer begins. What would the people buy? And that's what we're going to sell. So that's what they were doing. And Paul says, we didn't do that. We showed up and we just taught you the truth. Whether you accepted it or not, whether, whether you liked it or not, we, we taught the truth. So false teachers were coming into this church. It was a problem in that day, and it's been a problem throughout church history, and it's certainly one of the signs of the last days. Last week I made a reference to, to our, what we call our end times update, where we, we talk about five prophecies that every believer needs to know. And there's one prophecy that we don't, we don't typically talk about. But there in your outline, the next verse, in uh, Matthew's gospel, the, the disciples come to Jesus, and this is just before he's taken and crucified, and they ask him three questions. It says the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when, this will be the first question, these things will happen. What will be the sign, second question, of your coming and the end of the age? Third question. And so Jesus takes the entire chapter, and he answers those three questions. 
And we, we certainly look at that when we talk about the end times, but there is a sign that Jesus references there in the end times that most of the time we don't talk about. He actually mentions it two times in that one chapter. He's talking about what, it, what will it look like in the end times. And uh, there in your outline in that same chapter, Matthew 24, verse 11, he says, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So you have many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. One of the interesting things about that is Jesus isn't talking about those outside the church, those would be inside the church, just like what the uh, Corinthians were going through. False prophets would arise and mislead many. The idea is that Jesus is laying it all out. This is how it's all going to go down. False prophets, false teachers would say, I don't like how that's going to go, so here's how I say it's going to go. And, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear that quite a bit. And that becomes a sign of the end times. That knowing what Jesus says, but they say, but it's really going to be like something else. I would encourage you to get our end times update so that you don't find yourself listening to some of the false teachings that are out there. My point is this, it was a problem in the first church, it's going to be a problem in the last church. So you need to know your Bible. Well, we've traveled through this section and one of the things as as we came through this section, we, we mentioned that Paul began to lay out very early on what authentic ministry really looks like. And it was back in the last verse of chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4. And I put it there in your outline. And uh, Paul says it like this. He says, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, underline this, we become more and more like Him. And it is God Himself in His mercy who has given us this wonderful work. Now it says given us this wonderful work. Some of your Bibles, if you were to read that, it would say given us this ministry. So we, we, we mentioned that uh, over the last couple of weeks that authentic ministry from Paul's perspective is that authentic ministry, write, write this down, authentic ministry helps people become like Christ. And that'll be important. That's one side of authentic ministry. We're going to see another side today. Last week, we made it almost all the way through chapter 5. We ended at verse 15. I want to pick it up at verse 15 of chapter 5. And Paul said this. Verse 15, he says, He died for all so that they who live, and underline this, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul says this because apparently there was in the church, and it was permeating the church, this teaching, if not overtly, it, it was whether it was it was strongly implied, that Jesus really came to the earth to save you, and and the purpose of that is so that as you have your dreams, your aspirations, your goals, He would come alongside of you to help you accomplish all that you wanted to do. And uh, Paul says, "No, we we no longer live for ourselves; we live for Him who died for us." The idea He died, He paid this price. We respond by now living for Him. Uh, the, the mentality was that Jesus came somehow to enhance our living for ourselves. And Paul's uh, talking about that. Verse 16, he continues on, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know Him in this way no longer. Well, very, very quickly on, on this. He says, we don't recognize anyone according to the flesh. When you recognize somebody according to the flesh, you look out and you say, that's my friend, that's my enemy, that's my coworker, that's a student, that's a teacher. That, that's how we tend to recognize people according to the flesh. 
Uh, Paul says we don't recognize people like that anymore. We recognize them very differently. Now we recognize them as people who need to be one to a relationship with the Lord. And then he goes on, very interesting. Um, let me just say one other thing. That, that He says we recognize people no longer that way. Um, we recognize them as people who, who need to be one. This is why I do my very best to not be a jerk when I go into town. If, if I go to a restaurant and I don't get my way, somebody doesn't serve whatever it is, uh, I realize that they are somebody that needs to be one to the Lord, and that issue is greater than my issue. So, so that's one thing. But I've also learned in my relationship with God that if I was a jerk to somebody in town, God would move heaven and earth and make sure that person was sitting right here on the front row on Sunday morning. So, so God's probably nicer to you, but for me, not, not so nice. And I already know what he would do. So anyways, so then verse 16, he says, therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. Paul is saying we did recognize Christ according to the flesh. When he was there, we, we saw him according to the flesh, not for who he truly was. We just thought he was a teacher. He had a following. He died. We thought that was the end of it. We didn't like the things that he said. One day, Paul encounters Jesus who's risen, empowered, and, and uh, on, on, on the road. We all know that story. And then he's converted. He says, I no longer recognize Jesus as this teacher who died. I see him very, very differently now. So in the same way, we see people very, very differently now. No longer friends, co-workers, people who need to be one to the Lord. Well, verse 17, he says, therefore. Now, most of your Bibles will begin with the word therefore, which means just based upon what we've just said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, underline that, and then underline the old things have passed away, behold, the new things have come. Behold, new things have come. Couple of things here, Uh, write this down. In Christ, we are a new creation, not an improvement. A new creation, not an improvement. When somebody becomes a new creation in Christ, God's spirit comes to dwell within them. There's all of a sudden, there's a, there's a hunger for the things of God, a love for the word of God, a love for the people of God, but also based upon what he just said, therefore, we're a new creature in Christ. What that means when he says old things have passed away, you say, well, what are those old things? Well, in verse 15, he says, we no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for Christ, the one who died for us. In verse 16, he says, we no longer recognize people according to the flesh. We recognize them very differently. So as a new creature, those things, living for myself, recognizing people as just people, that's all passed away. I'm a new creature. I see things very, very different. Verse 18, he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and I want you to underline this, and gave us, underline that word us, the ministry of reconciliation. I've placed that verse on your outline. He says, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means that there was a break in relationship to the point where it had to be reconciled. It doesn't mean that you're meeting somebody for the first time. When man was in the garden, there was sin, and then all of a sudden there was a separation in relationship. 
So Jesus, God comes to the earth, steps in our place, pays the price. Now we can be reconciled to God. And so we're now brought back to him in relationship. And he says he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So another thing that we would say, and write this down, is that authentic ministry seeks to connect people with God. Seeks to connect people with God. Two things we see about authentic ministry. One, it it helps people become more like Jesus, and it connects people to God. As new creatures, as a new creation, he has given to you and I the ministry of reconciliation, which implies that there's a partnership between what it is that God wants to do and and how we participate. I've said this a, a, a a couple of times, but ministry is not about you and I becoming better Americans. It's not about becoming rich. Those things, as wonderful as they might be, I think everybody should be a better American. But the idea is that's not what the ministry is. The ministry is about helping people become more like Christ, and it's about reconciling people to God. Make sense? So you'll hear a lot of people say it's other things, but that's what it is. Verse 19, namely, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's what he's given to us. That's our part. Verse 20, he takes it a step further. Therefore, based upon everything we've just said, we are ambassadors for Christ. Underline the word ambassadors. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, and I want you to underline that word you. We'll come back to that. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I I love that he says that we are ambassadors, and there really is no other way to, to translate that word. But here's what he's saying. If you're a believer, as believers, he says, and write this down, as a Christian, I represent God to the world. Some people do that a little bit better. Some people, not so good. But either way, if you're a believer, people are looking at you and you are representing God to the world. Now there's two ways of looking at this verse. Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And then he says, we beg, and had you underline that word, you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So it could be that what Paul is saying is that you Corinthians have embraced something so different. You think it's all about him coming alongside of you to help you accomplish what it is that you want to do, and you've drifted so far away from the truth, you really need to come back and be reconciled. Not that you need to be saved, but you need to just come back to the truth. And that's a possibility. There's another possibility, which by the way, that would be true in their case. Uh, There's another possibility which is also true. And I want you to write down, you is not part of the original manuscript. So when he says, we beg you to be reconciled to God, the word you is not in the original manuscript. So other translations would translate that verse this way. They would say, we are ambassadors, therefore for Christ, God, as it were, beseeching by us, we entreat for Christ. And here's our message, he would say, be reconciled to God. So it's not that you need to be reconciled to God, but our message is be reconciled to God, which, which is also true. So go ahead and write this down. Saying our message is 
be reconciled to God. The message of the ambassador, the message for you and I, our life message, is that people need to be reconciled to God. That, that is our message. And I love that he uses the term ambassador because an ambassador never represents themselves. They, they never show up and say, here's my message. Here, here's my thing. The ambassador shows up and says, this is the message from the king, the kingdom, the nation that sent me. I wholly exist to represent that kingdom to you. So I'm, I'm very wary when somebody says, I'm showing up and this is my message. It's, it's, well, that's not our message as ambassadors. Our message is to represent the kingdom that sent us. Does that make sense? This is a very different message than what the Corinthians were embracing. And apparently they really needed to hear this. They, they had embraced the idea that Jesus had come along to help them accomplish what it is that they wanted to do, in essence, to help them live for themselves at a higher level. Paul is saying that's not how it works. He died for us, so now we live for him. Living for him, we are now ambassadors for him. We don't recognize people as friends, coworkers. We recognize them as people who need to be one to the Lord. So how do we, how do we practically uh, do something with that? One of the things that I do, and, and we'll, we'll do this as a question, one of the ways that we can all participate in this ministry of uh, reconciliation, a good starting place, write this down. Who are the 8 to 15 people I pray for daily to be reconciled to God? You and I have between 8 and 15 people in our world who currently don't know the Lord that we interact with on a regular basis. And uh, I, I saw the events in France this week, and I, and I can't help wonder where did they wind up when they exited this life? Well, I can't go over there and participate in that, but here's what God has done. God has placed me, and there's between 8 and 15 people around me that I can pray for every day that God would open their eyes. For me in my life, it, there, there are the neighbors who live around where, where we live, and that certainly, and then there's this other environment that my family goes into on a weekly basis, same environment, and we're there all of the time. And very, very few Christians, and because of the size of our family and all that, we're, we're, we're this strange entity that comes in, and they don't even know what to do with us. But, but, but they're seeing what it means, and I and I realize, and I pray for them. I pray for them, and I realize part of my reason for being part of that that community is is to be that ambassador for that. So we can all do that. So write down 8 to 15 people and pray for those people every day. They're the people around you. Verse 21, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Not that Jesus sinned. Uh, the idea is that in the context of everything that he said, Jesus, God came to the earth. He stepped into our place. He took our sin on him. He died a horrific death so that we would be set free from what was to come. And so now we respond by living our lives for him. Whatever he wants to do, that's what we do. They needed to hear that again because they had come to the place where they thought that he died to come alongside of them to help them accomplish all that they wanted. Chapter 6, verse 1. Keep in mind when this was written, there were no chapters, there were no verses. Paul is just writing a letter. 
So that was added in a thousand years later. So he continues the thought, very next sentence, and he says, and working together with him. And uh, however your Bible says it, underline that, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you, but now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you have the NIV translation, I like how it says that it says, as God's fellow workers. And I put that there in your outlines. Everybody see that? God's fellow workers. So when he says God's fellow workers, that implies a partnership in ministry. Go ahead and write that down. A partnership in ministry. In verse 1, he says, working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's not saying that you lose your salvation or you weren't saved. What he's saying is you're not doing something with it. So then he goes on and notice what he says. He says, for he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you, so you got saved. And then he says, now for those people around you, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I did this for you. You're his fellow workers. Now's the time for everybody else. Become clear as we go. So as fellow workers, there's two parts. Our part, write this down, to represent him and to share the message. Represent him and share the message. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God's part is to open their eyes to receive it. Open their eyes to receive it. I can't open anybody's eyes, but I can pray that God opens their eyes and I can share when I get the opportunity. Now, I, I really, knowing myself, I, I've come to the conclusion that God, God could do the ministry of reconciliation a lot better if he just removed me from the mix. Because most of the time, I mess it up. I don't get it right. And the only way I know how to explain this is it appears, it's evident that that God loves to participate with his children anytime he does something. He he loves his part and and he likes our part. I I remember, uh, for those of you who know, my my son Daniel is now 17 and I tell him he's taller than me and almost as good looking as me, but he's 17 now. And I remember when he was two years old, we live out in Jupiter Farms, we have this great piece of property and we used to have this riding lawnmower. So I remember when Daniel was one day, he was in the window, he's in his diaper, and uh, he sees me and he starts jumping up and down. He's all excited. Daddy's out there on the lawnmower. Daniel wants to mow the lawn. So mommy brings him outside. She waves me down, and uh, Daniel's all excited, jumping up and down. He wants to mow the lawn with daddy. So I disengage the mower, and Daniel comes running across the yard, and I put him on my lap, and off we go. Now, what I find is I can't make the, the incredible hairpin turns that, that I was making before. And, and if you've ever had a two-year-old on your lap when you're trying to mow the lawn, as you're doing this with the lawnmower, they're doing this. And they're kind of fighting you all the whole way. And then he's beaten on the steering wheel like this and back and forth. He's having a, a great time, great time. So we finally get the yard done, and it's not as neat as it could be if I just did it myself, but I so enjoyed the process with him. So he runs in, he finds his mom, she's in the kitchen, and he tells her, he explains the whole thing to her. He says, Mom, Mom, Daddy, now I know you don't speak baby, so I'll interpret. So here's what he says. Here's what he says, Mom, 
I was out there and I was mowing the yard today, doing a pretty good job, you know, and, and uh, the cool thing is dad came alongside and he helped me. Now, now, you know and I know that's not the case. In his little mind, that's what was taking place. But the reality is he was hindering the process, but I just loved doing that with him. I could have done it better without him. And you know what I also found out or what I also realized is that he loved to participate in the process with me. When, when you participate in the process with the Lord, here's what you find you find that, that God enjoys that, but you enjoy when you see God really using you. And all of a sudden when Jesus says, my joy is in you, it makes a lot of sense. Anytime you see God use you and you're participating with him, it does something on the inside. He could do it better without us, but he chooses to do it with us. That makes sense? So we are fellow workers. We're fellow workers, and that's the understanding. So here is a revealing question I want us all to write down and evaluate. Write this down. Where is it in my life that it is evident that I'm a fellow worker with him? Where is it in my life that it's evident that I'm a fellow worker with him? How am I participating in this ministry of reconciliation that he has given to me? Now, if you can't point to a place where you say, this is how God is using me in the ministry of reconciliation, might I suggest that you might be embracing the same false idea of the, as the Corinthians who really thought that it wasn't that we were co-workers with him, serving him, but their mindset was that we got saved so that he could come alongside of us to help us accomplish our desires and dreams. The reality is uh, your greatest desire and dreams will come true whenever you align those with the Lord, when you get those from him because he's created you to do something. But if you can't point to the place where you are participating in the ministry of reconciliation, that, that's a very revealing question. It's a very revealing question because you might have been be embracing something that, that uh, a different teaching. Verse 2, he says, for he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. That's for them. He's already helped you. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So here's what he's saying. Write this down. Our message is urgent. Our message is urgent. So then Paul says, so here's how I carry out this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 3, he says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul says, I'm careful. I keep the main thing the main thing. I realize I don't live for myself. I'm an ambassador for Christ. He's given me the the ministry of reconciliation. So everywhere I go, I live in such a way so it doesn't discredit the ministry. I don't want people to not embrace Christ because of how I'm behaving. Verse 4, I've placed it on your outline just so we're all reading this from the same translation. He says, rather... As servants of God, we'd say fellow workers, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance. And he says, we commend ourselves in great endurance. Now he's going to give us three ways that he's endured. He says, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. Hardships, troubles, troubles, hardships, and distresses. Very quickly on on this the word troubles there can also be translated affliction. The, the Greek word is thalipsis, and it just means pressure. 
It's, uh, it was the word that they used when they made wine and they smashed the grapes. You know, they'd stomp on the grapes and they just exploded. It's the same word that, that is used for the great tribulation. It's the same word, thalipsis. And the idea is these crushing circumstances that Paul faced at times. And he says, but, but we endured. We endured because we live for him. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation and we, we have this ministry of reconciliation with him. We're, we're fellow workers. So we didn't quit when we were going through those very, very difficult times. Then the next word is hardships. And that word just means necessity. King James Version translated it as necessities. The idea is, Paul says, there are times when we, we didn't have what we needed and, and it was very difficult and things broke and this didn't happen and this person you know, didn't come through with this and it was, it was a very, very difficult time. We didn't have the necessities that we needed. It was, it was hard. And uh, Paul says, but, but we, we didn't stop. We, we kept enduring even though we went through those difficult times because we belong to him. We have the ministry of reconciliation and uh, we live for him. So whatever we go through, that's secondary. Then he says distresses which just means narrowness of place. The idea, uh, we, if we were to say this, we would say, uh, my back is, I'm, I'm cornered, you know, my back is against the wall, I'm cornered. Paul says, I was in circumstances I couldn't get out of and, and it was very difficult. But I, I'm still, I still live for him and I'm, I'm still an ambassador. I still represent, I still have the ministry of reconciliation. So we endured, we didn't quit just because things became very, very difficult. Verse 5, he says, he says, in beatings, and we know the stories were everywhere Paul would go, uh, they would arrest him and then they would beat him. In imprisonments, Paul spent much of his ministry in prison. That's why we have the book of Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and the book of Philemon, because Paul wrote those by sitting in prison. So it was just sitting there. He says, and I didn't quit. In tumults, uh, some of your Bibles would say riots. You know, everywhere we went, there, there was this upheaval in labors and in sleeplessness and in hunger. And some of your Bibles say fasting or, or in hunger. So the idea is that Paul says, it hasn't been easy for me to follow the Lord. There's been a great deal of difficulty, but I endured because, because I belong to him. I live for him. I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador for him. So Paul lays out his commitment before the Corinthians because they really needed to understand that that's what it's really all about because they were embracing something else. So I want to ask us a very revealing question here today. Go ahead and write this down. Based upon what Paul has just said, what inconvenience am I willing to endure for the gospel? What inconvenience am I willing to endure for the gospel? So if God were to come to you and say, you know what, here's what I want to do. I want to send out missionaries around the world. I want, I want them to go out and I want, to, I want to build facilities. I want people to be able to come to church and hear God's word. I want there to be a place for them to bring their friends. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to work with me as my fellow worker. And your part in this is I want you to participate financially in what it is that I'm doing so those things can take place. Would you respond by saying, absolutely? Or would you respond by saying, that is way too much inconvenience for me? Sadly, you and I live in a culture that responds and says, that is way too much inconvenience for me. 
What about this? What if God were to say, you know, here's what's happening here at Calvary. We have kids showing up every week. I mean, it's, it's like we're filling up the rooms and uh, we want to create an environment. God says, we want to create an environment where, where children can come here. It's fun. It's exciting. It's spiritual. They're learning about Jesus. Many of them are hearing about Jesus for the very first time in their life. And, and we need somebody to speak into their lives. And as that's taking place, parents can come in. They can hear the word of God for many the first time in their life where they actually open their Bible and go through. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to participate by serving just one service a month, 12 times a year, one service a month. Help me do that. Would you respond by saying, God, if that's what you absolutely, or would you respond to that by saying, that's way too inconvenient for me? You see, the, the, the Corinthians had embraced a gospel where it's all about God coming alongside of them to help them do all that they wanted to accomplish and live their dreams as though Jesus gets to come alongside and help us to live for ourselves at a much higher level. And Paul says, that's not how it works, but that's what they had embraced. Make sure you don't embrace the same lie that the Corinthians were embracing. Make sense? Verse 6, he says, in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness, we were nice to people who weren't nice to us. In the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, we, we chose to operate in the Holy Spirit, not in the methods of man, in the word of truth. And in the power of God, many see that word of truth as a reference to Scripture and the power of God. We gave the word of God, we trusted in the power of God. By the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Verse 8, verse 8 through 10, you have this back and forth. One is going to be how man looked on Paul's ministry. The other is how God looked on Paul's ministry. So I'm going to highlight how man would look on Paul's ministry. By glory and dishonor by evil report. They were saying bad things about Paul and good report. As deceivers and yet true. As unknown, he wasn't all that popular and yet well known. As dying, yet behold, we live. Punished and yet not put to death. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. People said, you know, why would you follow him? He's not, you know, he's not rich. I mean, you want to follow somebody who's really blessed financially. And he says, as poor, making many rich having nothing and yet possessing all things. On the flip side, how God saw his ministry, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, that is by God, as dying, yet behold, we live punished, but not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, but making many rich as they came into the kingdom, as having nothing, yet possessing all things." Well, verse 11 through 13, he says to the Corinthians, he says, he sums it up and he says, you know, our, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, and our heart is open wide. And you're not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak to you as children, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Now, I've placed that verse there on your outline. And the reason I've done that is because I know some of you have the NIV translation and it it words it a little differently. There on your outline, what Paul is saying, very, very literally, he says to the Corinthians who had embraced this other viewpoint, he says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. 
you're not restrained by us, but you're restrained by your own affections. So here's what he's saying. Their big holdup spiritually was their affections. Their big holdup spiritually was their desires. And Paul is revealing that for them, it wasn't about no longer living for themselves, but now living for the Lord, accepting the fact that they've been given the ministry of reconciliation, their ambassadors, their co-workers. For them, it was all about Jesus dying to come alongside of them to help them accomplish all that they wanted to accomplish in the way that they wanted. The idea is that Jesus would help them live for themselves at a higher level. And Paul says, we haven't restrained you, but what's messing you up is your own affections over what it is that God wants to do. It gets so bad that by the time we get to chapter 11, notice what Paul says. He says, I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. They had twisted it to it was Christ's devotion for them, which is part of it, but the, the first part is that we're, we're, we've devoted to Christ. And he says, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, underline that, whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you bear this beautifully. The idea is that these false teachers had come in. They're teaching a different Jesus. It's a different spirit. It's really a different gospel. And the problem with the Corinthians is they were embracing that wholeheartedly. And so for them, it was all about God coming alongside of them to help them accomplish their dreams, their desires but it was not about we no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ who died for us. It was not about we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors and we are fellow workers with him. They had missed it. My prayer, my hope is that here at Calvary that we make sure that we don't find ourselves going into the same belief system that had permeated the Corinthian church, and that we understand that, that our response to him for what he did for us is that we now live for him, and that means whatever he wants to do, we say yes to that. And here's what I can tell you, that when you do that, when Jesus says, my joy would be in you, and that your joy would be made full. They, they were a very cranky church as they lived for themselves and tried to get Jesus on board. Paul, in the midst of some very, very difficult experiences because he lived for the Lord, had God's joy inside of him. I can tell you and anybody else can tell you who lives for the Lord that when you live for him, there's a peace, there's a depth of relationship, there's a joy that comes from following him. He wants that for you, 
but it's not about us accomplishing our deal. Does that make sense? And with that, I'm going to close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And here's our concern. We don't want to wind up like the Corinthians who felt that it was all about them for them. It's all about you. And so, Father, I pray that today in our minds you'd begin for some of us to confirm we're right where we need to be, for others of us to reveal the change that needs to take place. And then, Father, to make sure that we become, as ambassadors, people that follow you in the way that represents you well. I pray that you keep us all until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.